Good morning, how's Kesset Church doing? Very excited. So excited that you're here. I want to welcome you. My name is Danny. I'm one of the pastors here. This is Tom. He's also one of the pastors here. We're starting today off a little different. We're going to give you guys a quick update. We do this about every four, four to six weeks, four to five weeks or so. Just kind of let you know what's going on in our church because there's a lot of things happening. For those of you who don't know, we're in the process of moving to a downtown campus that we are going to remodel here soon. You're about to hear about some of that. And uh, it's really, really exciting. But I want to first, before I release Tom to kind of catch you guys all up, I want to give you some dates uh, in regards to what's happening next within the family. Uh, right there, coming to Kesed. First one, next week's Palm Sunday, obviously. Uh, we're going to run all of our normal service times, including our downtown campus. Then we have Good Friday. We're going to do a Good Friday service right here at 7 o'clock. We'd love for you to be here. It's going to be really exciting. So come and check that out. Then Easter Saturday and Easter Sunday, basically Easter weekend. We're going to do a 6 o'clock on Saturday night, same as last year, right here at Clark. Then on Sunday, we're going to run our 9, 1030 downtown, and 11 here. So check that out. Then after that, directly following Easter, uh, we're going to do a Friday night baptism service downtown at 7 o'clock. And uh, we'd love to have you guys. It's going to be a worship and baptism night. The last one we did was super special. Lots of people baptized. Uh, people even right then from the audience, not even people who signed up, people who just really felt convicted that that's what God wanted. So come check that out. It'll be following the week right after Easter. And then we're going to start a small new series following Easter called the Lord's Prayer. This is going to be unique for us because a lot of churches right now are doing these very seeker-sensitive kind of productions, which I love. I love art. I'm an artist, and I love doing all those sort of creative things. But this year, with all the... the all the blessing that we've had at our church, we really felt like it was important to kind of take a step back. And so for three weeks following Easter, we're going to do a breakdown of the Lord's Prayer. We're going to do communion every single week of those services. We're going to talk about what it means to pray, and we're also going to do a few fasting things together as a church. And so it should be a really, really um, exciting time to kind of take a breath, take a step back, and, uh, and, and, and get ready for the blessing that God's having. Then uh, we move into a different season. Jenny Riddle is going to be with us, and we have a couple other special things happening. And then we're going to dive right back in 
to uh, the book of Acts. And so we're going to continue on in a different series, but stay right where we are in the book of Acts and make sure and finish that. So those are all the things we have happening, uh, lots going on. I want to have Tom share with you now about kind of the behind the scenes and the health and and where we're at organizationally and, and, and all those sorts of things. So would you just give him a hand, please? Thank you. Good morning. It's great to be with you this morning. Uh, I'll start off right away. We are going to move uh, our Main Street campus over to here to join you guys on April the 8th, Sunday after Easter. So on that Sunday, in three weeks, you're going to have 80 of the coolest grandmas and grandpas here. And I just want you to love on them because they're, they're fantastic people. So, Danny, it's been an honor to, to, uh, for my wife and I to pastor over there for the past year. They're, they're fantastic people, and they want nothing more than to be here with you and just worship with you guys. So uh, look forward to that. An update on the building. Uh, I talked with our contractor on Friday, and uh, he tells me that the architect is done with the plans. Yeah. We have to vacate, the, there's an alley that runs right through the middle of our property, so the city has to vacate that. They've already told us they would, so we're going through that process. But again, the plans are complete. We'll turn those in at the appropriate time. And uh, so I wanted to share that with you. And what that means is we can start probably middle to late next month, we can start some of the demo in the building. So things are progressing. I just wanted to share that with you, okay? Uh, lastly is our giving. If you remember right, in uh, January I stood up here and I said, 2017 was, was a record year for this church in terms of giving and attendance. And I'm happy to report that the first two months of this year, that hasn't changed. We're $20,000 over what we thought the giving would be in January and February. So thank you for being so faithful. Thank you for your, for your giving. That's just, that's just amazing. Um, also, our building fund. We had a goal of $10,000 a month. On top of all this, $10,000 a month to come in for the building fund. And that has taken place, too. So we're just, we're just so pleased, so happy about that. And then lastly, um, our attendance, just an update on that. Uh, we're averaging close to 700 people now on Sundays, Danny. And uh, two weeks ago, we had 800 people at both campuses. So God is doing things here at Kessid. We absolutely love doing it with you. And we're just so blessed to be a part of this with you. So thanks for your giving. Thanks for your attendance. Thanks for your support. A uh, couple closing comments before uh, I release Tom and we start uh, with today's message. Uh, in regards to Easter, as most of you know, uh, most people uh, that come to church as visitors will come twice a year more easily than any other time of year, and that's Easter and Christmas. And so usually what a church will do is put together sort of this lure kind of production or mailer or something that lets everybody know, hey, come to our church you know, when you visit, because we want to be here and we want to present the gospel and we want you to be a part of our family. Well, once again, we wanted to take a step back and think as strategically as we could. And this year, we're going to kind of do something a little different. In prepping for that Lord's Prayer service, our vision and mission for Easter this year is that each of you bring one friend, one single friend that you, uh, that you will invite personally, that you will sit with in the service, and that will hear the gospel uh, because of you. We believe that this will have a better uh, fruit uh, for the kingdom result than us doing a big, costly, expensive production. And, and clearly, it's not because we don't have the funds to do it, right? It's, it's, that's, not, that's not the problem. The problem is, is that when people come to those kinds of things, they don't connect with other people, and the thing that draws people back to church are other people, not the production. And so this year, what we're asking 
and it's going to be weaved into this message, is that you consider inviting someone to come to the church. Now, here's what that means. That means some of you are going to look foolish on Easter because some of you are going to invite people and they're not going to show up. Uh, as a matter of fact, when I ran a large youth group, we used to have these benches, and we may do this at the other building if I get permission to buy anything. Uh, if, we'll get some benches <laughs> at the other building. Uh, and we called them in our youth group the fool's benches because we would have 10 to 15 students sitting out there waiting through worship for their friends that never showed up to meet them in the lobby, and they would look like fools, and people used to applaud them when they would go and wait for their friends that never showed up because every once in a while, that friend would walk in. And there's that person sitting on that bench, like, waiting for them to sit with them in a service that to someone who never goes to church can be a pretty scary or intimidating thing. And so we're asking for some fools for Easter. We're looking for some people that are willing to take a risk and invite a friend and are willing to be a part of that. Now, that transitions me to another problem that this is the only service that's going to get this particular encouragement. This particular service within the Kessid family is the most sought after, the most attended service no matter what else we do whether we add Saturdays or late Sundays whatever it is 11 o'clock is the spot some of you need to move okay and I don't mean just for Easter I mean some of you need to go to our nine o'clock service some of you who are like yeah I could do that if you're even kind of that way now if you're like hey if I have to go to nine I'm not coming to this church that's fine you can stay till you get spiritually mature enough to understand what it means (laughs) for you to go to the other service. But the reality is, I joke, the reality is we need about 100 people to shift. And that includes kids, so it's probably 50, 60 adults to shift to 9 o'clock because we just don't have room. And coming after Easter, we're just not going to have any more room. So pray about that. We're going to continue to mention that over this next season. But following Easter, if our room hovers anywhere over 80%, especially for visitors, it's going to become uncomfortable for them, uh, and they're probably not going to come back. You, you know this barrier. You experience it when you walk into a movie theater, and you're like, oh, it, there's, there's seats. That's anything below 80%. Anything over 80, you're like, there's nowhere to sit because you don't want to have to sit next to someone you don't know, or you don't want to have to split up as a group. So we're looking for about 100 people, including kids, to shift to our 9 o'clock service. We're asking you to pray about it and think about it and consider it. Amen? Okay, I think that's all I got. Uh, I want to appreciate Tom and his wife, Lisa. They've been uh, really leading our downtown campus along with that team for the last solid year, and it's going to be great to have everybody back over here. It's also going to be great to our programming team to not have to continue to stretch out the timer when I'm late uh, because everybody needs the Holy Spirit, and if they need to go longer, then we just get more coffee here. So uh, it's going to be awesome, though, to be all together and, and doing ministry together. So can we just appreciate him? And I think Lisa's in the back somewhere. So one other thing, and is, is Tom's mic muted? Yeah, good, okay. I have to talk about some sin in Tom's life really quick. <laughs> it's actually two pastors in our church that are struggling right now. Um, uh, recently, uh, I, I, I was sharing with, I'll start with Pastor Keith, uh, sharing with Pastor Keith that I'm pretty excited because they're making a brand new Mary Poppins. And he looked at me and, and I said, Mary Poppins, right? Isn't that pretty cool? I mean, that's, that's pretty iconic, big part of my childhood. And he's our children's pastor. So I was relating to the only person on the team I thought would get it. And he just kind of looked at me and I realized in his eyes that, that he was covering something deep and dark. <laughs> and so I said, Pastor Keith, please, I'm calling out in you in the name of the Holy Spirit. What's going on inside you right now? And, <laughs> and he said, I've never seen Mary Poppins. 
I took two steps back because I wanted to be clean. I wanted to be like, this is, this, is our, this, is, this is some serious, serious, like that is nowhere on your resume when you offered to be our children's pastor. So I brought this up in a pretty confrontive way in our staff meeting, and I got a huge, uh, like, like uh, <gasps> from everybody around the table, except for Pastor Tom. And I realized that, you know how sin spreads? You know how it's like sin is, and I was like, are, is our church being led by folks who've never seen Mary Poppins? And Tom goes, never seen it. So I'm confessing right now that I am putting together for our church leadership, I'm going to give feedback, do my own Danny update, uh, for our church staff and leadership, including Pastor Tom and Pastor Keith, a Mary Poppins night. And uh, we are going to watch this. But I wanted you guys to know that, that uh, he looks pretty sharp and together, but everybody has a weakness. Everybody has things they struggle with. And I just wanted to humanize him, humanize Keith, and let you guys know we're in it together with you. How many other people need to confess right now they've never seen Mary Poppins? Yeah, there's five of you in this room, and I'm going to do an altar call at the end. Now, now, if Mary Poppins is like, is like uh, you know, and I equate this very leisurely, very carefully, but if Mary Poppins is, is sort of like the, a church uh, no-no, I would say that how many people have never seen Star Wars? Can you raise your hand? Oh, my gosh. There's a better church for you down the road. That's all I can say. So I feel so... Mm. I had no idea. I feel, I'm so convicted right now. Like, I feel like Jesus is like, and that's why you're not receiving all the fruit you should be receiving. (laughs) Oh, it's really fun to be with you guys and to laugh and to talk and uh, just to share life together. And I I love it. So let me pray. We're going to switch gears and we're going to talk about um, some good stuff, some serious stuff. And I hope that it just blesses your life like it did mine. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this family. I thank you for the people in this room, for the ones that are journeying within their faith, for the ones that have questions, for the ones that are doubting, for the ones that are soaring, for the ones that are struggling, for the ones, God, who are here to see, and for the ones that that just can't seem to put their arms around it all. Lord, I know that in this place, through your Holy Spirit, you can meet all those needs perfectly and adequately. And so I ask, Lord, right now that over this room there would just be a spirit of revelation, that there would be a sense, God, of people coming together to experience your words, to experience your presence, and to have a piece of you within their lives, no matter their struggle, no matter their story. Thank you for this time together. We lift it up to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you have a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 8. We're going to wrap up chapter 8 today. We're going to talk about two characters only within this story, other than, of course, the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about an Ethiopian eunuch, and we're going to talk about Philip again. Now, Philip, I want to bring some clarity to him. Philip is Philip the evangelist. This is Philip that got called along Stephen uh, as one of the seven deacons to go and feed the widows. We know that Stephen's story pulled him into martyrdom, and we know that Philip's story last week pulled him into Samaria. Well, Samaria at this time is thriving. People are coming to Christ. We talked about this last week. The story of God's uh, revelation, like we just prayed over you, is happening. Eyes are being opened and lives are being changed, so much so that Peter and John are called down from Jerusalem, the real hub of the church at the time, because Samaria is this new hot spot of faith. And they get there, 
And suddenly when they arrive, for their sake, the Holy Spirit falls upon the people of Samaria, really bringing to full view all of God's redemptive hope for the world, whether Jewish or Gentile or beautiful or broken. Philip is in the midst of all that. Philip is the man. Philip is the hottest thing in town. Philip at this point, in my opinion, should have just branded himself as the Samaritan you know, seeker and started a coaching gig on the side. This is how you reach lost people. I'm Philip. I reach the Samaritans. I do big stuff. I mean, even Peter and John came down to figure out like how I was doing this. It's amazing what God is doing in my life. But Philip doesn't do that. Philip instead is this thing that I think we're all going to wrestle with today, that I think a lot of us wrestle with more than we may even realize. Philip is obedient. The chapter starts off with the first verse in a bit, saying this, verse 26 of chapter 8. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And then it says these five words, and he rose and went. Now, out of context, you would just say, yeah, if an angel showed up and told me to do something great, I'd go too. I don't know about that. Because you're witnessing miracles weekly in this place. And you finally have some reputation. You're Philip of Samaria. And you want me to go, and I love the description it gives, and it's for a purpose. I want you to go down to Jerusalem, to Gaza. This is a desert place. I want you to take this road south. Another translation for this road south down to Gaza is a desert place or a road no one ever walks down. It's hot. It's scary, there's bandits, there's definitely no ministry opportunity there, for no one goes there. If an angel of the Lord came to me, and I'm booming in ministry, and he goes, here's what I want you to do. Go ahead and just take a road out to Shalachi. For those of us in this area, you know, you're like, or Cougar. And you're like, Cougar? I am doing stuff in Portland. God's like, I know, it's amazing, but I got some business in Cougar. I got some shalachi prairie business, and I need you to head up out there. Head up north. Philip apparently has no problem with this because Philip is obedient. And so he says, I'm going to do it. So he starts packing his bag. I imagine the conversation went like this. Got up early in the morning because angels only appear in your dreams, right? We have no idea, but I think so, right? Peers in his dreams. That's what we imagine. Wakes up in the morning. Suddenly, he's packing his bag. Peter walks out. Man, Philip, we got so much big ministry to do today. I'm going to appoint these new deacons. We're going to do this. I'm so excited. You got your sermon ready, right, for Friday night? And Philip's like, yeah, no, I'm going to, I'm going to Gaza. I'm taking the road. What? Yeah, angel appeared to me last night, and uh, I got to go. What, what do you mean you got to go? I just showed up last week. Holy Spirit fell. This is the most biggest. This is, this is the movement. This is where God's going. I know he is, and I'm really excited for you guys, but God asked me to go somewhere else. I don't know how Peter and John would have taken it. I wouldn't have taken it well. I would certainly have taken it like Philip, but Philip takes it well because Philip has this thing about him. He's obedient. And so he goes. Verse 27, he, he, he goes and Rises and goes, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch that he came across, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. God takes the initiative. He directs Philip to this road, this road from Jerusalem to Gaza, and while he's there, Philip comes across 
this eunuch. And Philip decides then that he is, that's the reason for him being there. And so he approaches so close that he sees kind of who he is and what's he about. Let me just say something, a little side note for those of you in the room for, at this point in the story. I believe it's at this point in the story Philip knew that he was going to be successful on this road. Previous to this, I don't think he did. I don't think he really knew. I think he went because that's what obedience is about. It's about doing something without really understanding fully uh, maybe the why or the how, but it's about being willing to be obedient to God and to move in his direction. Anyways, Philip does this and he sees the eunuch and I think just for a second he goes, oh, this must be why I'm here. See, in God's economy, God does not view success like you and I, ever. I get to go to a few of these coaching things, and one of the things that people love to throw out to coaches, to either their coaches or to people that uh, coach me is, hey, what do you determine uh, is success? What do you view success as? And everyone will throw out like a Lencioni quote or you know, some other sort of thing they made up or what's well, these three points in my life. I'm just going to throw something out at you. I'm going to wreck this for a lot of you because <laughs> it wrecked it for me. I'm going to throw out that according to the Bible, success is obedience. Now, that's a huge, huge phrase. That's a huge statement. And anytime somebody like me stands on stage and talks to people, they need to be able to back that up with a verse. So that's exactly what I'm going to do. <laughs> success only appears, the word success, one time in all of Scripture. Yeah, it just got profound in here right now. You're like, oh, he just brought the big bat. I sure did. One time in all of Scripture, and it's in Joshua 1.8. It's when Joshua is taking over leadership from Moses, who just freed the people from Israel and is probably thinking, how am I ever going to compare to that? How am I ever going to be like, like, like Moses? How am I ever going to look at this, what he did in his leadership? What is my success? What is it I'm shooting for? And so God begins to speak encouragement in his life, and he does so through the book of the law given by the Spirit. So you have Scripture and Spirit as the two bookends of this verse. Follow this book and listen to me, God says. Follow the law, okay, and listen to me. And this is what he says in 1 verse 8. God speaking, by the way. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then, will, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. God says, you want to be successful in my economy? Follow my word and listen to me. You want to be successful. You want to feel successful. Follow my word and listen to me. It's not about the vacations or the house or the income. Half of you lost it anyways a few years back. You're still worthy. You're still valuable. God still received your worship. You got to know that it, with it coming and, and appearing back for the last few years, you can't put your trust in that stuff. So how then do you and I measure success? According to scripture, and the only time the word is written, let alone spoken, it's by God the Father who says, read my word, listen to my law, and listen to me. And in this way, you will be successful. And it's in this way, somebody like Philip can go, I'm going to leave Samaria and go to the road less traveled. He sees the eunuch and he knows because of his obedience. Oh, this is my success for today. I'm successful. Once again, he's like, man, I'm good at this thing. I'm just good at this thing. But the reality is he's only as good as his obedience. 
And so he goes and watch what God does to just awaken and perfectly orchestrate this conversation that the two of them have. He was reading the book, the prophet Isaiah, verse 29, and the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. (laughs) So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah, the prophet, and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. Now, I don't know about you, but if I wanted to pick one verse to describe the obedience of Christ... It would be that one. See, Philip obeys. This eunuch who traveled to Jerusalem seems to obey. He's heading back without the answers he wants. He's reading the scripture. He's diving in. He takes it serious for himself. He wants to know, how do I know this? What do I do? And Philip's obedience and the eunuch's obedience meet together to have a discussion about the greatest obedience. The one who was willing to do exactly as the Father God asked all the way to the cross like a lamb to the slaughter who never opens his mouth. Success in the spiritual realm is full and complete obedience to God's spirit and God's word. Now for some of you, that is tripping you out right now. Because you've not built your life on God's word or God's spirit. And frankly, you've got a whole bunch of Sumerian success. People think you're awesome. But when you're by yourself, and I feel, as I hope now that I'm surrendered to what the spirit asked me to teach, when you're by yourself, between you and the spirit, you don't feel so successful. Because you know what you're building your life on is fragile and will go away. You know that your obedience isn't searching after the obedience of Christ. And you know that you've always pointed towards the louder noise than the quiet road. Because the louder place has all the people that bring the applause. And that's really what you're about, isn't it? Isn't it, Danny? And so you've got to make decisions. Hard decisions. Decisions like I bestowed upon you for Easter, where everything in my ministry since says, send out a mailer, capitalize on the momentum. There's such an arc of success within the church. Let's just slingshot that into this community that is what, I ask myself. More people? Is more people success in God's ministry economy? No. Otherwise, he'd have kept Philip in Samaria. Instead, what I ask you to do is live out these verses and invite a friend, be a Philip. Show up to a difficult situation with Christ as your center, but you say, like I would say, but I can't do that. Why not? Because I don't have Christ as my own center. How am I going to invite anybody to do what I won't do for myself? And I say, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so instead, you exchange it all. Hopefully not as radically as I have this week, where you throw out all strategies for Easter and say, we're just going to ask people to bring friends. 
Everybody's tripping out. We're going to ask them to be friends. We're not going to spend a bunch of money. We're just going to show up, preach the gospel, and whoever shows up, we're going to hope they stick because of the friend that they brought. Then we're going to ask some people to be fools. They're going to invite people that never show up. Because at the end of the day, what's going to determine how successful we are is not how many people in our attendance we can add, but how much we are willing to follow the leadings of Jesus Christ and his way of being in our lives. And I'm here to tell you, there is nothing I can do on the stage that will impact somebody towards the love of God like you can over a cup of coffee with a half hour of your time and your story. Nothing. You are the strategy. You've always been the strategy. Your stories shared are how the church has moved from continent to continent. This Ethiopian was so messed up by this. Listen to what he did when Philip explains the passage. And the eunuch said to Philip, verse 34, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or someone else? He wants to know who is this person? And so Philip opened his mouth and look what he did. Beginning with this scripture, the verse in Isaiah, he told him the good news about Jesus. This is back to Philip's willingness to be surrendered and willingness to be obedient. He didn't go, all right, listen, eunuch, I know you want to know about this passage, but have you heard about what I did in Samaria? I mean, I'm a miracle worker. What do you want to see? No, Philip is humble enough to meet this eunuch where he's at in that passage. This is why I say to all of you, the most powerful stance you can take on scripture with evangelism is your story. Oh, but my story is dark. Mm. But my story is wide. Amen. My story is so shallow. Perfect. There's nothing you can say to me that, that somehow makes your story less. My story is so big. Awesome. It's so small. Great. It's your story through the Holy Spirit sitting in a chariot with a eunuch talking about a verse he brought you. Leaving a thriving ministry to go obey what God wanted you to do. This is where Philip's at. I love all the people that tell me about how church should be. I have no idea how church should be. I just know how this one's supposed to be today. I have not figured any of this out. I've had people tell me church is going to morph into something completely different. Church is going to, I hope so, because each church is a story. And it changes and it develops and it grows. It's no different than you and your family. And so I hope this church reflects every single person in it till God calls them like I know he will to go do something else inside their life through obedience to which then God uses that story to transform more lives and more lives and more lives. I'm gonna be here till God calls me off the stage and I'm gonna hold on tight till he does. But when he asks me to leave, you better believe you're gonna hear about me on the long road. I will be gone. The Monday morning he asked me to be gone. I will not stay here because I want to be spiritually obedient because at the end I want to have a life that produces fruit and this church could be 5,000 people and God could move my butt to Jerusalem. I have no idea. But living that way makes me dangerous. Do you know how dangerous I am in the room with other successful church guys spewing that kind of talk? I had a guy look straight across from me the other day, huge church, said to me, I said, what's the most important thing about your church right now? Well, he goes, well, it has to do with my staff. And I said, tell me, I want loyalty among the staff. Garbage. Where do you see that in scripture that you were supposed to have people be loyal to you? No, I went and brought this information. I didn't say anything. My eyes said a lot, which was a bummer because he got frustrated, but I didn't say a word. I just went... 
Oh, go ahead. Sorry, were you talking? Right? I brought it to a man I respect a lot, and I said, this is killing me. If I have to build a church of loyalty all around me, I quit. And he goes, oh, no, no, you want to build a church based on what the Bible says. And the Bible says nothing about a group of believers getting together to be loyal to one person. The Bible says it's not about loyalty, Danny. And this old man leans forward across the desk. It was awesome. I'm going to be this old man one day. I promise. I'm going to do it. He leans forward across the desk. It's like he was handing me my own spiritual lightsaber. For those of you who don't do Star Wars, you have no idea what I'm talking about right now. So you just, you probably lost the reference, but that's okay. So... Uh, and he says to me, the Bible is not about loyalty to people. It never has been. The Bible, when it comes to people gathering together, is about unity. Unity. And it's unity in the spirit of obedience. If we're all obedient to bring friends, to share with people, to look like fools, to lead, to sacrifice, to give financially, you, you don't really think that our, that our church's attendance and finances are record numbers because of incredible preaching. I have not improved as a preacher. Our worship team is no better than they were a year ago. Nothing's different. Do you not want to know the one single thing that's changed? And you just experienced it with this Easter announcement. I feel like in this season right now, we are surrounded by, being led by, being eldered by, and being prayed over through people who are desperately wanting to be obedient. It's everything. Because when you're obedient, God moves. When you're obedient like the eunuch, God has people show up out of the woods to answer your questions about the Bible. <laughs> Could you imagine? I want to tell the sermon sometime from the eunuch's perspective. I spent a lot of money going to Jerusalem to figure out these answers. I went to different rabbis. I went to tabernacles. I went to feasts and festivals. I prayed along the wall. I did it all. I could not believe the amount of time I spent crying for God to explain himself to me. And finally, disappointed, I go home. And you know what maybe I thought on the way home? I'll take the road that no one goes because who even cares about me? And I'm sitting there and I just want to turn my back. And suddenly I'm like, no, there's got to be more. There's got to be more. And I'm reading scripture and I want to know, God, you've got to reveal yourself to me in this. I came to Jerusalem like you said. I did everything you said. And on the way back, all all of a sudden, this dude pops out of a bush. Sup? Uh, <laughs> just wondered if you wanted to know what you were reading about. Yes, I want to know what I'm reading about. Get in my chariot. And in the chariot they go, and he's like, I got this. That verse is about Jesus the Messiah, who was led to the slaughter through obedience, which is how I got here. The eunuch's like, that's how I got here. And that's why you need to be who God's called you to be. And here's the best part. This eunuch was so tripped out by this that he decided to get baptized on the spot, verse 36. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch himself says, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? What prevents me from being baptized? I love this. Do you know what it's like to accept Christ in your life and be washed on the inside? Realize there's two sacraments that represent that, right? The communion that we did last week that we're going to do multiple times in a row in the... Um, in the, uh, the Lord's Prayer series, and then there's baptism. This man gets baptized and lights himself up with, with revelation by saying, oh, that's what it means. I accept Christ. There's water. Let's get baptized. You don't even have to ask him. He's getting out of the chariot to be baptized. How often as Christians are we looking for water? How often do we just let the transformation seep into only our hearts? How often does God go, cool, I want your business. And you're like, you can have my business, God. I'm going to tell everybody about it. But it doesn't really seep into your family. Or vice versa. I want to transform your heart, but it doesn't really seep into your life. 
and the way you live and the way you talk. You just show up on Sunday and dance. This eunuch says, the Lord has revealed himself to me. Where's the water at? And God provides water. Provides a man who pops out of a bush, provides answers to his prayer and provides water. This eunuch gets baptized and listen to how powerful his baptism is. This unit gets baptized. See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? Verse 38. And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Verse 39. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. What? And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. Now, I have no idea what kind of carried away it was. It could have just been some sort of teleportation. Or for those of us who know our movies, like Mary Poppins, when she just disappears into the sky. Some of us don't know that reference, so they're struggling right now to keep up biblically. Pastor Danny's going to fix that, though. Don't worry about it. I have no idea. All I know is this transformed and impacted the eunuch in such a powerful way. Church tradition has it that this eunuch... Uh, went all the way back with the gospel to Ethiopia and founded the church there. That he is the reason the gospel permeated Africa. This man. Because of his willingness to be obedient, because of another man's willingness to be obedient, because of Jesus who is the great obedience and their willingness to be a part of his story. This man founded a church. Philip, through his obedience, was taken off somewhere else. It says in verse 40, Philip found himself in Azotus. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. He just finds himself somewhere else. And you know it's Philip, so he's like, okay. Cool. I mean, clearly he told a lot of people the story. So he's like, Samaria was awesome. Wait till you hear about the eunuch. Because of his willingness to obey. None of this was coincidence. It was God's plan from the very beginning, and Philip was obedient to that plan. Are you obedient to what God wants to do in your life? Because I think for many of you, it's going to determine that core feeling inside at the end of your life of whether you lived one, a life that was successful. I really believe that. I shared last week, it's impacting me deeply. I got to sit with some distant relatives uh, husband and wife, both turning 90, very successful non-believers. And I sat through an hour and a half discussion about all the things they were successful about 50 years ago. And I remember sitting there thinking, God, don't let this be me. I want to give up all hope of a better past. For I want to look towards the future that he provided. I want to know that I lived my life obedient, whether it means big church, small church, no church at all. It's going to be my new mantra. Danny, he's all about church. Big church, small church, no church at all. I want to be as God called me to be for as long as God called me to be. And then I want to blow everybody's minds when I walk away from it all. Because I've already told you. I gave this away. Our old covenant, been here a long time. Kessa people know this. The end game of this thing, we're going to give it all away. All of it. We're going to give it all away to another generation that burns with the same desire to give it all away. We're going to take no credit, no applause. We're going to take no equity win it at all. And I believe that it is going to be the most obedient, maybe for me, day of my life. 
because I think that's what God has determined for me to be successful. I don't know what yours is, and I don't have to know what yours is. All I know is that according to Scripture, God's Word says, follow the Spirit's leading, follow His passages, and give up the games, for you will never, ever, ever find the quenching desire you want that Philip found, that, that the Ethiopian eunuch found, that is found and discovered in the obedience of Christ, our Savior, who all the way to the cross obeyed our Father so that he could experience this very moment with you. For some of you, you're going to experience your first true moment of obedience right now. For some of you in this room, you're going to set down for maybe the first time ever in your life this thing that you've been holding on to that you thought brought you value and purpose. It's not going to be public. It's not going to be loud. It's just going to be you and him. For others of you in this room, not only are you going to invite people to Easter, but you're going to invite people to Easter because you're going to come to Christ tonight, this morning. You're going to meet him right now. And so I'm going to ask for all the heads to bow and every eye to close. And I'm going to ask, if you've never accepted Christ in your life, to pray this very simple prayer with me. Say, dear God, it's me. I'm tired of running my own show. I'm tired of evaluating myself, determining if I'm good enough, smart enough, or strong enough. I recognize, Lord, that I have not been submitted to your will. I recognize, Lord, that I have made decisions that were disobedient, that have caused me to stray. And God, I ask that you would forgive me that through the power of the cross of Jesus Christ who was obedient until the end, you would renew my spirit. You would put a brand new heart in me, forgiven and restored. And you would reveal to me, Lord, what steps I must take next in order to live out my successful, submitted life. I love you, Father. With everyone's heads out and their eyes closed. There's a group of people in here. You've been following God a long time. You've just been doing it disobediently. Not in every area of your life, but you know the ones I'm talking about. I'm going to ask right now that you are willing to ask God what it is he wants you to do with those areas. What it is he wants you to step into or step out of. How it is that he wants you to Perhaps meet with someone and confess, a close friend or, or a pastor or a person that can keep you accountable. How it is that you are going to truly, through the Holy Spirit's conviction today, become the person God has called you to be. For you've been playing games long enough. God's ready. He's always been ready. It's time for you to stop. It's time for you to start. It's time for you to stay still, to stand up, to sit down, to move, to to stay. It's time. And so, Lord, I pray in this room right now that there would be a willingness to see, that there would be a willingness to live out, that there would be a willingness to to, Lord, become more than we are, to allow our stories, to allow our stories, God, 
to be shared and to be shown in order to bring glory and honor to you. Thank you, Father, for this place that we're in. Thank you, Father, for these questions and wrestling that we're having. Thank you, Father, for every person in this room and this space, God, that you are building so that more and more people can come and experience relationship with you. May you blow our minds with your presence as you whisper into our hearts things we've never heard before. In Jesus' name. God of creation, there at the start, before the beginning of time. With no point of reference, you spoke to the dark and fleshed out the wonder of light. And as you speak, a hundred billion galaxies are born In the vapor of your breath the planets form If the stars are made to worship so will I I can see your heart in everything you made Every burning star, a signal fire of grace If creation sings your praises, so will I God of your promise You don't speak in vain, no syllable empty or void Once you have spoken All nature and science Follow the sound of your voice Ooh. And as you speak A hundred billion creatures Catch your breath Evolving in pursuit Of what you said if it all reveals your nature, so will I I can see your heart in everything you say Every painted sky, a canvas of your grace If creation still obeys you, so will I So light. If the mountains bow in reverence, so light. If the oceans roar your greatness, so will I. For if everything exists.
so will I If the rocks cry out in silence so will I If the sum of all our praises still fall shy Then we'll sing again a hundred billion Chased down my heart through all of my failure and pride On a hill you created Light of the world abandoned in darkness to die And as you speak A hundred billion failures disappear Where you lost your life so I could find it here If you left the grave behind you so will I I could see your heart and everything you've done Every part designed in a work of art called love If you gladly chose surrender, so will I I can see your heart eight billion different ways Every precious one a child you died to save if you gave your life to love them so like Like you would again a hundred billion times But what measure could amount to your desire? You're the one who never leaves the one